After a series of missteps, Travat Yearly was willing to give video game development one more shot. He polished up three games, convinced family to help fund the endeavor, and then set off from Germany to Los Angeles to peddle his wares at the Electronic Entertainment Expo circa 1999. Even here, there was pushback to his plan. A mishap at the airport, a less than ideal hotel situation, and an outrageous registration fee just to step foot on the expo floor left Yearly at wit's end. With little hope left, he finally snapped and yelled at the representative of a large gaming company. What happened next would change his life and leave us all playing the game of today's topic, Far Cry. Today we're looking back at Far Cry, starting with the history of Crytek and its founders, Travat Yearly. We'll take a hard look at the game itself, look back at what critic and gamers thought about the game, and briefly talk about the legacy it's left behind. So stick around and join us for today's tropical trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 82nd episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we're looking back at Far Cry released for Microsoft Windows on March 23rd, 2004. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my usual co-host, who just got back from a long vacation in the South Pacific, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how was it? Did you come across any of those uh, genetically modified animals that everyone's been talking about? Uh, no genetically modified uh, animals, just a lot of robots. Giant robots fighting. Lots of giant robots fighting in the South Pacific. Uh, yeah, I got a little too close to the rim there, did you? I sure did. Uh, well, yeah, you went a little too far. Next time, uh, keep it on the archipelago of the South Pacific. So, yeah, live and learn, I guess. Live and learn, or some people don't actually live. But you know, we'll talk about that shortly too. So, uh, what you been playing? Well, Dave, this week has been a little bit of RuneScape, a little bit of Wreckfest, some Elden Ring, and yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. How about yourself? Forza, Rocket League, Elden Ring, Valheim. I think that's it. I think I RuneScaped for a hot minute one day. Mm, that's about it. That's about it. Rob, Far Cry. You a Far Cry fan? I haven't played many. Uh, actually, I've only played one game in the series, but uh, I did enjoy the one that I played. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Uh, five? Four? Correct. Five. 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 That's right. Yeah. Did you be- yep. end up beating that one? Not yet. No. Uh I'm still working on that. Uh, I haven't gotten back to, to finishing it yet, but uh, Damon and I were playing through that and got got a decent amount in. I'd say we probably had like 30 hours into it. I really like five and I um, I still ha- I bought it, but I still haven't played 
uh, New Dawn, which is kind of a continuation of the story in a manner of speaking. It's not really a sequel, but it kind of plays. It's hard. It's hard to tell you what it is when you haven't finished five. It would make a whole lot of sense what I'm talking about if you finish the game. So gotcha. But uh, it's kind of it's set. How about this? It's basically set in the exact same place as as Far Cry five after the events of Far Cry five. But it's not okay. a sequel. So. Makes sense. Anyway, so Far Cry. I I am a big fan. I've played all of them. I get excited when a new one comes out. I haven't had an opportunity to play Far Cry 6. It's on my list, but I kind of tend to have a rule of not buying games when they first come out. There are, you know, not too many exceptions to that. So I'll get around to it. So we're looking back at Far Cry and got a little bit of history, starting starting with the founder of its development team. If you ask Shavat Yearly about how he got into video game programming, his story begins back in 1990 when he was about 12 years old. He recalls playing a game called Kickoff from a programmer called Dino Dini. It was a soccer title that combined two of his favorite things, soccer and video games. He played it for hours, losing track of time and having it only catch up to him when the sun was going down and he was past due to come home. Remember those days when you had to be home by the time the streetlights were on? Oh, yeah. Man. So as he tells the story, I took my bicycle, drove downhill, and was lost in a daydream. I just snapped, and the next thing I remember, I was I was in a bed in a hospital. Oh. Shavat was so infatuated with the game that he smashed headlong into a brick wall. <laughs> right? I can, I can honestly say I've never done that one before. <laughs> So he was riding the bike while playing the game. No, he was riding the bike while daydreaming about the game and just got lost in his daydream and just smashed into a brick wall. But, uh, yeah, I know. That's even weirder. Well, you know, that time he smashed through the brick wall. Years later, though, he'd managed to crash through it, but we'll get there. So Yearly got his start, like so many of us back then, myself included, by tapping out all the weird code that he found in the back of computer magazines. Yearly is German, so these were German computer magazines. Within a a year after his little accident, Yearly had run out of games to play, and so he decided to enlist his friends to make more. His first game was an economic simulator called Trade It. And he made it and submitted it into one of the contests found in one of those magazines. They would always put calls out for... You know, little little program, little games, and, and people could win, I don't know, three, four, five thousand dollars. Oh wow! For the contest, so he submits it. Several weeks later, he gets a phone call. The editor of the magazine called, says that his submission's excellent, but it was far too long to be printed in a magazine. It was even too long for a double issue. But he recognized Yearly's talent. And his suggestion was to sell the game to an actual publisher where it, would be, where it would be worth well more than the prize that the contest was offering. Now, this was a conversation that changed things for Yearly. With it, he realized that making games could be more than just a hobby, but a business too. And if there's anything about him, it was that he was going to put himself into everything. So four years later, Yearly and a friend were sitting in the office of Black Legend Entertainment. It was a British British gaming company that published games for the Amiga. 
These Yearly and his friend had spent most of the previous year making a game called Motai. Like other early programmers that we've talked about on this podcast, Yearly had videotaped his brother's friend doing martial arts and he digitized the video to the Amiga. Do you remember the other game that that was kind of the thing for it, the start? Uh, I know we talked about the Amiga. I just can't remember which game it was for at the moment. The Amiga is not the special part. It's the concept of rotoscoping. Do you remember what game is famous for being like the first one to rotoscope? Is it Mortal Kombat? No, it was Prince Damn. of Persia. Oh, okay. That's right. And, and that guy did the same thing. He took a video camera and videotaped his brother, you know, doing all the motions for Prince of Persia. And then he went frame by frame to get them programmed into the game. Yearly did the same thing. He converted the videotaped images into sprites, and then he spent thousands of hours painting these sprites frame by frame in order to animate them. The men at Black Legend Entertainment were stunned by the fluidity of the animation and the complexity of the moves. And so Yearly was offered a job with Black Legend, but before the job offer was finalized, the company went bankrupt. Oh. Oh. Discouraged by this event yearly left programming altogether and eventually went off to college where he ended up in an economics program as part of his degree yearly had to take a computer science program and here he managed to have a disagreement on a programming assignment uh, assignment with his professor right what it was is it was a coding assignment yearly was no stranger to coding obviously and his code worked but the professor didn't agree with how it was written, and so he scored him low. Now Yearly protested, went as far up as he could, and despite all the appeals, the university sided with the professor, and Shavat was given the lowest grade in the class. By this point, though, he really didn't care. He had kind of been just floating through class, he had been slowly checking out, and uh, something like this was kind of, you know, the icing on the cake for him. You see, when Yearly was in college... Uh, this was the mid-90s, 95, 96, I don't know, 97. Internet came to the early household. And Travat was infatuated with the internet. Now, for those of you that don't know what internet was like in the beginning, we didn't have unlimited internet like we do now. And I know some of you don't. You know, we have data caps and stuff like that. But it, 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 I think unlimited internet is much more common now and the data caps are much more forgiving now than back then. So back then you were given like, I mean, it was nothing. We were still using dial-up, but let's say a gig and anything over a gig, like by a megabyte was a lot of money. But the point is, is there's a story that, you know, Yearly and his brothers recall talking about in which they amassed a $900 bill in their first month of internet. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Online, Yearly had found a number of news groups. This was these were early forums, I guess is what a news group is, where people could meet up with other people passionate about the same things. Here he found common ground with professional graphics programmers, physicists, and other types of researchers. He also found news groups and found people that were interested in making games and people that were interested in developing other new methods of gameplay. In 1998, he found a few people that he became close with, and he gathered them all under the name Crytek. At this point, Crytek was little more than a website. It was a company by name only, and it was created by, by having Shervat 
bluff his way into a working relationship with more than 50 people across the world. Can you imagine? Like, it, it's it's pretty much like, hey, here's my company. I'm going to make the next greatest thing. You want to work with me? And everyone's like, sure. You know? Would be pretty cool, Dave. So with these people also being on the verge of failing college, Yearly gambled everything and created three games. Now to him, this was his last hurrah. His absolutely last chance to publish a video game, and he decided that if this didn't work, he was going to figure out what else he wanted to do with his life. And so he went to his brothers, who, along with his sister's husband, all chipped in money to formally found a company in their next endeavor. And with that, in 1999, Crytek was officially formed. Now, the company originally occupied one floor of a house that had maybe three or four rooms in it. And in fact, before it was Crytek, it was a massage parlor. And in its first year, employees can recall people ringing the door trying to schedule a massage appointment. (laughs) Right? Wow. It was here that they spent a few months polishing Shervat's games, and he burned them onto a single CD-ROM in preparation for E3 1999. Now, E3 is the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Uh, It is the biggest showcase of video games every year. It's usually held in Los Angeles, if I remember correctly. Although the past two years, it's been a digital thing because of COVID. But that's where everybody went to showcase their wares. So they took their money and they decided they were going to go to E3 with this single CD-ROM, three games on it, and hope for the best. It was not an ideal trip, Rob. Oh? So first of all, they were stopped by immigration officials at the airport, and they found out that their Turkish citizenship, their German Turks, didn't grant them the appropriate credentials to travel to the United States. Somehow, a helpful airline agent was still able to get them onto a flight to New York. So here they come to the United States. From New York, they made their way to L.A., only to find that, hey, it's E3. There were no hotel rooms whatsoever. And so they spent an entire day burning the gas in their rented car when they finally caught a break towards the end of the day. Someone had a room. And so they paid probably too much for a room and were escorted down to a windowless storage room in the basement of the Figueroa Hotel. Still, it was a bed. It was a bed, man. Yeah, something. Yep. And the next morning, they were off to E3. They arrived, and E3 staff had no clue who they were, and so they charged them each $250 as a registration fee to step foot on the E3 floor. By the time their foot hit the expo floor, they were in a foreign country, and they were very nearly broke. Also, They visited wearing fancy European suits, which made them stick out among all the developers and members of the media that were wearing shorts and t-shirts. So as they moved from booth to booth, no one would give them the time of day. (laughs) Frankly, for Shravat, it was all too much. You know, there were thousands of miles of travel. He was jet lagged. They had a bad night's sleep. And they had spent an entire day of being ignored by everyone, right? Right. And so standing in front of the next generation display at the NVIDIA booth, Chervat finally snapped. For fuck's sake, he shouted, we come from Germany. You have to watch our demo. (laughs) The jaw of the NVIDIA rep in front of them dropped and stunned. 
offered them an appointment at 6 p.m., which is right when the E3 floor closed the general public and gave them exactly 15 minutes to show off their demo. Wow. So six o'clock rolls around and the yearly brothers, three of them, there's three of them. Travat's the main one, but there are three brothers. They all show up at the at the NVIDIA booth. And as luck would have it, just as their demo booted up after 6 p.m., a group of journalists wandered into the booth. The game that he chose was a tech demo of a game called Exile Dinosaur Island. Exile showcased the CryEngine which is what they created and allowed for larger viewing distances than any other game engine could do at the time. As you might imagine, the demo displayed a prehistoric island populated with dinosaurs with sunlight reflecting off the water and dense trees swaying in the breeze. And you could just, you could see the entire island. None of these journalists had ever seen anything like it before and they lingered on it, which then attracted the staff of NVIDIA. So 15 minutes turned into full, a full two hours and the result was a contract with NVIDIA to ship Exile as benchmarking software with every new NVIDIA card in the next year. What a break. Wow. Yeah, that's... that's Wow. So at the time, Exile was currently being worked into a full game. It was tentatively called Trespass. It had a loose story about some guy going to a dinosaur island. But before they could do anything really with this, the brothers managed to snag yet another contract, this time with Ubisoft, who bought the rights to turn Exile into a AAA game. And with that, Crytek was now a real game development studio making a AAA title. Wow. Right? I mean, like, they, 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 went, they went to fucking E3, they weren't invited, they went on a prayer... They barely they spent all the money they had getting into it in the first place, you know, and at wit's end, he screams at someone and as luck would have it, that was it, you know, just here we go. Um, pretty fortunate, get, pretty fortunate. So this development on Dinosaur Island would quickly shift to a more realistic shooter. Uh, you know, Ubisoft was suggesting the name Far Cry. And Crytek was not fond of it. You know, looking back, it, it wasn't it wasn't what they wanted to do, you know, but Ubisoft was a big publisher with a lot of money. And so they followed suit and and Far Cry stuck. And so the team continued to work on the development of the game alongside the engine they used to design it, CryEngine. And so it was on March 23rd, 2004, that Far Cry was released to the world. And alongside it, a licensable version of the CryEngine, which we'll talk about shortly. But uh, but let's focus on Far Cry for a second. So you've never played the original Far Cry, huh? I have not played the original Far Cry, no. For those of you who don't know the series, Far Cry is a, a, a pretty standard first-person shooter set in an open-ended environment. Here, the first Far Cry, it's set somewhere in the South Pacific, and... Looking back, you know, I can recall that there were a few things that made it pretty special in its time. It, it got a lot of hype. You know, as we talked about on the tech demo, it's viewing distance, which is exactly how it sounds. How far away you can see was more than any other game of the time. For those of you not into video games, viewing distance is still a thing. When a player can see more, the computer has to draw more and compute more. And so further distance is typically more demanding. Companies that find a way to let you see pretty much as far as you want to 
and do it while everything still looks and runs well are pretty much what everyone hopes for, I guess. But at the time, when computers weren't very powerful, they had to limit how far you could see to be able to to make things run smoothly. So, not really an issue nowadays, huh? I mean, it could still be, but not as much as it was back then. I mean, think about it, though. We're playing Elden Ring, and you can pretty much see everything from the get-go, you know? I, I mean, I, if I'm honest, I haven't looked too far. Like, obviously, they do a lot of good, like, visual barriers to prevent you from seeing too far, so... I don't know about that. That first view of the game, you pretty much see everything. I mean, you already are far enough to know that your goal is to work towards the Earth Tree, and you can pretty much see the whole path right from the that first that first view of the game, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I suppose you're right. There was more that was special about the game other than the fact that you could see further. The tropical rainforest was kind of a unique environment, especially since you could use the trees and foliage to provide cover. And then the uh, the AI, the artificial intelligence, uh, was pretty spectacular, actually. Well, I think we've talked about a few games in the past where AI was pretty cool. I remember one of the first ones where enemies reacted to you was Medal of Honor. But here, enemies would also would very much react to the player. If one guy spotted the player, he would run for help or would signal for other help with a flare gun. Enemies could work together to outmaneuver, outflank, or even surround the player. And some, not some, I mean, pretty much all of them, they could provide suppressive fire to allow them to do that and give them a tactical advantage over the player. Uh, it was very unique for the time. Adaptive AIs were really just starting to be developed, and I don't recall many games having at the time. I think the only other one that was special that did it, that it sticks out in my mind, was Fear. Do you remember the Fear series at all? Yeah, I played that. Yeah, those those enemies would outflank you and everything. And I think the first Fear was 99, if I'm not mistaken. So I think Fear was, was a good one. Um... But yeah, you know, it was it was a it was a game. It had it had some things going for it, you know. Uh, the jungle part was pretty open, but there were pretty of other levels that were. I mean, the rest of it was pretty linear, you know. Aside from the game forest, you had open parts like beaches or canyons, swamps. There were not so linear parts like mines, beach villages with huts, army camps, underground temples. There was also a modern research, modern research land. Um, it was pretty much a story that took you all over the place. Um, you know, it's it is a little different than the other Far Cry's. Far Cry is really famous now. What it's known for is having really great antagonists, the bad guy. Every Far Cry, pretty much after this, I believe, maybe not two. I know from three on you get you're a character that somehow gets involved in like uh like a a dictator like in most of them you get dropped into an area that's being that's you know or you get tied up in the storyline with a with a dictator ruling over the people and your whole goal is to free the island from the dictator or free the area from the dictator but here in the first story it's a little different you're basically an ex U.S. Army Special Forces soldier stranded on a mysterious archipelago searching for a missing journalist. You were originally hired to escort said journalist to this area to see what was up, 
but then your boat's destroyed by mercenaries and well off you go when i did the early joke about genetically engineered animals that's part of the story it's this whole weird thing with mercenaries genetic engineering genocide of the local population all in the name of quote unquote science basically it's a mad scientist story and and you work your way through this island to to live and to save the journalist from the mad scientist so yeah a little different than modern ones but um that's far cry it's first person shooter that you could see far you know what i mean right so as usual after i talk your head off we collectively like to look back and talk about what other people thought about at the time, both critics and other gamers. So I pulled here some reviews for you, Rob, to cover. So take it away. All right, Dave. So first up, we have from GamePro, Boba Fat. <laughs> nice name. I love it. Who writes, if you believe the hype, we're on the cusp of the golden age of first-person shooters. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> a renaissance led by Half-Life 2, Doom 3, and for those console folks, Halo 2. Ubisoft's ambitious Far Cry has jumped in before the bar is raised. But is it the first step of the future or the last gaffe of the past? Far Cry's hype has mostly dealt with its mind-boggling long-range visibility claimed to be 800 meters. And there's certainly no denying that this game allows you to see very far, very clearly, and with phenomenal detail. Every astoundingly crisp blade of grass shimmers, and the water effects are absolutely unparalleled. But, although Far Cry's jungle environments take bump mapping to a whole new level, some garnish indoor textures and odd light sourcing keep the game from being a completely immersive experience and only very high-end gaming rigs will be able to appreciate far cry's true beauty its outdoor landscapes far more frustrating though is the pedestrian level design which delivers frequent ambushes that rely on memorization and replay instead of stealth and skill You'd think the much-heralded long-distance factor would allow you to take advantage of sniper scopes, but enemies usually don't appear until you're within close proximity. Thankfully, Far Cry really picks up a few levels in, when the story takes a page from Halo and introduces a second malevolent force, the scientists' bioengineered animals. Later areas also take advantage of the dynamic sound design with ominous roaring that suggests nearby enemies. The sound effects of the overly familiar weapons stand out. Shotgun blasts feel like sonic-induced force feedback. Unremarkable music, however, keeps the game firmly in almost great territory. Far Cry is a Far Cry indeed from Revolutionary. It's a solid, challenging jungle assault that perhaps foretells the future with its gorgeous interactive environment but some lackluster game design keeps it stuck firmly in the rut of the right now. You know, I, I sometimes think back to this and I don't think, I think Far Cry is way more popular now than it was in the beginning. Um, in particular, I think Far Cry 3, when they really embraced the open world concept is kind of when things took off for a lot of people. And looking back, 
at the beginning of this, when you read about all the games that came in the middle of Half-Life 2, Doom 3, Halo 2, I guess it's kind of easy to understand why and how it got shadowed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, because those are all, I mean, those are amazing, you know. Yeah, they are. Those are, yeah, I know. But yeah, what else we got? Well, Dave, we have Sal Accardo, who writes for GameSpy, that it took me a long time to get on board with Far Cry. In fact, I wasn't even sure I was there when I started writing this review. It's a game that caters to the hardcore first-person shooter gamer, and will likely frustrate casual players as early as the very first level. Technically, it's a sight to behold but it's also one of the most technically demanding PC games released to date, which may send an entire segment of gamers scrambling to upgrade. And yet, I can't help but be amazed at what first-time developer Crytek has achieved with a rookie release. Far Cry doesn't just boast cutting-edge technology and a surplus of breathtaking visuals, but also pulls off the amazing triple play of open-ended gameplay far beyond the standard A to B to C of most shooters. Each of Far Cry's 20 levels is a little world unto itself, and you could spend days exploring each one. It may not be perfect, but it's the rare shooter that actually is interesting to play more than once, and that's something well worth talking about. Once you've gotten the hang of things, it's hard not to be impressed with the AI of Far Cry's enemies. Basically, if you can see them, they can see you. And that means big trouble. Sometimes, they'll come running at you. Sometimes, they'll bring friends. And sometimes, they'll sound alarms. Enemies will circle around you, and they'll even get in vehicles and chase you down. Some of the creatures you encounter later in the game will often come leaping right at you the second you're spotted. So while Far Cry is a first-person shooter first and foremost, it's often best to stay out of sight until you're sure you can get in the first shots or the area is safe. Overall, the AI provides a nice ebb and flow to the combat and adds real tension to the game. And that's pretty good in our book. From a visual perspective, Far Cry may well be the single prettiest shooter I've ever seen. Yes, you should read that sentence again, because it's not a statement I make lightly. It's just spectacular. The jungles are gorgeous, the sky is breathtaking, the water is stunning. I could ramble like this all day, but it's probably more useful to look at our screenshots. Nearly every shot looks like a postcard. Part of it is thanks to the new graphical engine developed by Crytek, which provides all the eye candy you could want. Lens flare, water effects, ragdoll physics, but there's also a great use of color and architecture that makes each level a joy just to stand in. Far Cry is unquestionably stunningly beautiful to look at, and it's amazing to think that this is only Crytek's first game. He continues on to say that the new graphics engine isn't just for show either. There's some gameplay tied into it as well. In one section set in a cave, I could tell an enemy was coming because I could see his flashlight shining on the way ahead of me. The second I turned on my flashlight, he spotted me and the fight was on. In another section, I could tell enemies were nearby because I could see their shadows approaching ahead of them through a doorway. An advanced physics model is also in place, 
complete with ragdoll character physics and other nods to realism. It'll be interesting to see what developers do once they get a good look at Far Cry. Despite the high technical requirements and some occasionally frustrating sections, it's a game that only gets more enjoyable as you play it, and it shouldn't be long before other developers start ditching the linear approach to first-person shooters in favor of a more open-ended design like this. Oh, they did that, didn't they? Uh, yeah, Dave, I would say they've done it once or twice a month. Right on. Right on. Well, Dave, I think we see the critics. They, they say really, really good things about this. But more importantly, I think we should look at what the gamers think. The people like us. Let's do it. So first off, Far Cry did score an 8 out of 10 with about 1,100 reviews on Metacritic. With that being said, we should look back at some of the reviews from 2004 written by some of our fellow gamers. In April of 2004... Matt R. gave it a 9 out of 10 and wrote, Where does this game come from? I'm usually pretty up on the latest releases, but I feel like this one snuck up on me. I love the change of locale. No more industrial warehouses. The AI, the beautiful graphics, and cool levels. I dislike the incredible difficulty level. The later levels are mind-bogglingly hard. I also was disappointed by the way the story developed. It ended up being pretty predictable. In May of 2004, Charles P. gave it a 10 out of 10, writing that, I wish they had a 9.5 option, as this is what I would have voted. This game is awesome. Graphics are amazing and make the game really immersive. I love crawling through the grass, sniping people from far off, and see them run around and try to find me. The grass actually hides you, which is something I don't think has been in a game yet. Best looking game to date. We'll hold you over till Half-Life 2 and Doom 3. Yeah, well, I mean, Half-Life 2 is pretty special. Uh, you know, I, I've heard a lot of good things about that too, but I haven't played it. But I can't say I played Doom 3. Half-Life 2 is really special, actually. It was, it's a pretty amazing game. We talked, did we do Half-Life 2? We did Half-Life, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yes. We did the original Half-Life. Yes. Correct. Right. What else we, what, 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 uh, what else we got? Well, Dave, I think that as the games began to come out, as the other games began to come out, that the allure of Far Cry began to wind down as the FPS genre continued to progress. So in May of 2006, Derek G gave it a five out of 10, writing that this is possibly the most disappointing game in history. How could anyone, especially a journalist with any integrity, call this game perfect? The AI is as dumb as any other. The graphics constantly glitch out on my high-end system, even on the lowest possible settings. And the story is truly, really dull and cliche. And the graphics pale in comparison to the likes of Doom 3, Half-Life 2, and even Call of Duty 2. And then, in September of 2006, Philaha wrote that it's simply an average shooter. Average guns, average story, average vehicles, average AI. The only novelty, if you can call it that, are the formerly, quote-unquote, great graphics, which do not look as good as the Doom 3 engine and do not scale near as well as a Source engine. 
The story is tired and predictable. Come on. Monsters, originality, please. And for some unholy reason, there's no quick save. I know this makes it easier to make a half dozen console ports, which results in increased revenue. Think of the gamer, please. Everyone wants to compare it to the others, you know, the Doom, the Half-Life. It, 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 it's like I said, I, I think that's the reason why the original Far Cry kind of got lost in a mix, because it came out and with all these other games, which were admittedly <clears throat> better. I mean, they were, they were better games, so I'm not, it is what it is. Well, you know, it, you got a point. There are a lot of other games to compare it against, but it, I mean... Still, with an overall score of 8 out of 10, it's kind of in a mixed bag, you know? True enough. True enough. So while most people do like Far Cry, there are plenty of people who hate it. Much like Eric0911, who gave it a 0 out of 10. Writing that it literally has no redeeming qualities. The graphics are outdated, not to mention they are surpassed by Half-Life 2 and Doom 3 in the same year. The AI is terrible and the stealth quote-unquote, is a joke. You can pretty much walk by anyone as long as you're crouching. You acquire all weapons within 60 seconds of play, but that's not saying much, seeing as there are only four, two of which are pretty much the same thing. The game is often marketed as an open world, but the levels are very linear and badly designed. You're often shoved into foxholes in which if you get up, you're killed almost instantly. It's often hard to find where you need to go. One of the first levels has you going into an abandoned ship. You're told to enter through a hole in the ship. There is a huge exposed hole in the ship that you see instantly. However, that isn't what you want. You need to go underwater to the other side of the boat and into a one meter wide hole. The story is absolutely ridiculous, but I won't go into that to avoid spoilers. The cutscenes are bad 90s film-esque. The vehicle sections are very hard to navigate. Saving is not allowed. So if you need to do something else, you better hope that there was a checkpoint recently. I got it for $2.50 on the Steam sale, and I still feel like I paid way too much. <laughs> I think it's still two fifty. I think maybe I paid $3 for it last week. It's still down there. Yeah, it's on there. It's to try. I do agree with some of these things. I, I I know they were trying for an open world, but it's not what we think of an open world. It's more like, for this part, I can tackle this base from multiple vantage points. Open, okay. open world. But that quickly changes to, okay, now I have to do this beach, which is a linear path, or now I have to do this mine, which is a linear path. And so it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't feel, it just doesn't feel open world like, like games do nowadays. You could see that they were trying to, and it's definitely more open than any of the other games on that list per se, you know, Half-Life and Doom and everything, but it's not, they weren't there yet. This is, the, I, they weren't there yet. I wouldn't consider this to be open world. But if you want to try it for yourself and see what I'm talking about, yeah, it's like $3 on Steam. It's it's um, Far Cry Classic, which is a remake, by the way. It's a remastered HD remake, but it's on there, and it's uh, relatively inexpensive. Hey, you know what I found out? What'd you find out, Dave? Uh, 
this weekend, starting the day this episode comes out on the 24th, I believe it comes out on the 24th, uh, Far Cry 6 <clears throat> is free to play on Epic for three days. Okay. I was like, hey, I still haven't played Far Cry 6. And they're like, hey, we're going to give you a free weekend starting on Thursday. And um, with and with save progression and one of the bonus quests included. So you can play you can play a demo for three days and and get and save your progression. And then if you want it, you buy it later or beat the game. I don't pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag. You know, people really liked it at first because it was cutting edge technology and new and did all these cool things. You know, and it looked great. But right behind it were a lot of other games that did the same thing. You know, you had Half-Life 2 on the Source Engine, and you had, uh, what, Doom on its engine, and it just, it, 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 literally, it's the Doom engine, and it just, it was all, it, there was nothing special about it really quickly. But when Far Cry first came out, that wasn't the only thing that Crytek released. The other thing that they released is the Cry Engine. Now, again, for those of you who aren't into video game, uh, a gaming engine is what the game is made on. It's basically a set of tools that helps you create a video game. Nowadays, we have big engines like the Unreal Engine and Unity. Uh, Game Maker, uh, Lumberjack. Uh, what else? What other engines are there? Um, I think those are a lot of the big engines. Uh, Frostbite is another big one uh, uh, that's Frostbite. used by Dice. Yeah, Battlefield. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, well, um, Ubisoft doesn't even use the Far the Cry engine for uh, Far Cry anymore. It, they use a very heavily modified version called the Dunia engine. Oh. But yeah, so engines are a set of tools and, you know, that help making that help make game design easier. And, you know, they they take advantage of its graphics and stuff like that. And when Crytek released Far Cry with Ubisoft, they also released the Cry engine that, you know, hobbyists and other gamers could license to do video game development themselves. That really wasn't a thing before this, but CryEngine is one of the early ones that did this. And, you know, now Unreal and Unity, you can get for free, basic versions for free. And so it's a lot more common nowadays, which is why game development is a lot more prevalent. So, but, um, but yeah, so CryEngine, um, CryEngine came out and it's still used today by some developers to create video games. Of course, now that was CryEngine 1. They're on CryEngine 5, if I'm not mistaken. Um, aside from the Far Cry games, other games that developed the CryEngine would eventually include the Crisis series, which we'll have to do someday. Crisis are considered PC-melting series. Uh, MechWarrior Online, State of Decay. We play that, Rob. Yep. Prey, uh, Rise, Set of Rome. That was one of the early showcase titles for the Xbox One. Uh, the Sniper Ghost Warrior series. Crytek itself makes a multiplayer game called Hunt Showdown, uh, Warface, and um, also more recently they've gotten, got, kind of gotten into VR. Uh, there's a company that's making VR games for the Oculus with the Cry, Cry Engine. Uh, specifically, there's a pair of climbing games called The Climb. So the Climb and The Climb 2. 
Wow. And then there's also the legacy of Far Cry itself. You know, we were just last year they released Far Cry 6. The series is still going strong. Um, there are numerous spin-offs to it, uh, like Far Cry Primal, which was a Far Cry set in the Stone Age, which was really interesting. And last year they released Far Cry VR. So there's a virtual reality Far Cry, which is kind of set within the context of Far Cry 3. Um, there's Far Cry Blood Dragon, which is like a 80s action hero version of Far Cry, which is a lot of fun. Um, all in all, the series has sold over 50 million copies. Uh, and that's likely more because the last time I saw sales numbers or was able to find sales numbers was Far Cry 5. And we've had two games since then, Far Cry New Dawn and Far Cry 6. So I'm sure that that number is significantly increased since that time. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. In 2008, there was a loose film adaption of the game made. Uh, Rob, do you know who Uwe Bull is? Uh, I could not say that I do. So if you ever see a movie directed by Uwe, Uwe Bull, ignore it. Uh, he's notorious for really awful video game adaptions. Uh, just notorious for it. Um, I don't really know if he's ever made a good movie. We all hate him. Hmm. Uh, the Far Cry movie he adapted in 2008 kind of vaguely got the same plot. You know, Army Ranger goes to an island with genetic creatures, but that it really ends there. It's it's really only a Far Cry in name. It's awful. Hopefully, though, there's going to be some redemption because Far Cry Blood Dragon is being turned into an animated series on Netflix. Um, and it was recently announced that also a Far Cry board game was in development. Um, I'm really looking forward to the Blood Dragon animated series. It I can't remember what character it's called. But everything about Far Cry Blood Dragon is literally, it's not, it's its like a, a parody of Far Cry. And it's all done up like 80s action hero stuff. So really over the top with explosions and lasers and that, that like Tron outrun type look. Um, and Blood Dragons. I mean, it's, it's outlandish. It's a lot of fun. It's a short game too. It's only a couple hours. It wasn't, it wasn't made as like a full, a full game. It was kind of just a fun little spinoff. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so Far Cry is not Far Cry is not going anywhere. It started way back here, years and years and years ago. Um, you know, with uh, 2004, and here we are, what 18 years later, uh, with six Far Cries and many many games and animated series and everything on the way. So get used Hell to it, yeah. folks. Get used to it indeed but that's that's the story of far cry guys went to e3 on a whim got stupid lucky i mean i would think that nowadays if someone screamed at someone else they'd get escorted off that floor um and that turned into crytech which which has been making games um uh, games for a while also as a side note uh just to uh, take a moment to the side crytech manages their main facility is in Frankfurt, Germany, but they have a satellite studio in Kiev, Ukraine, which of course is being bombarded by Russia, which is awful. So for anyone out there who is Ukrainian, our hearts are with you, which that's absolutely fu that's fucking awful. So, yep. Um, 
but yeah, so that's Far Cry. And I'm a big fan. <laughs> well, a- although I haven't played the original, I can say that I did. I, I was enjoying the hell out of five when Damon and I were playing it. And I do plan on getting back into it. And obviously knowing that six is free to play coming up uh, with the release of this episode. You know, going to have to try that out and see if I like that one, too. Maybe it's worth uh, going and buying for that whole two dollars and fifty cents or three dollars. Oh, no. Well, that's the original uh, <laughs> Far Cry 6. Well, it's like... buying, I was going to say buying the classic edition, you know, not, I don't think it'll be the worst $3 that I'll have ever spent, I'm sure. Oh, no, no, you can I... buy the old ones. Uh, one and two are kind of similar, but the series really adapts that open world concept at three. Uh, three has my favorite villain. I think we've talked about that and I got his name wrong in like one of our early, early episodes. Um, I love the villain from three. Uh, and then it just gets good. You have four and, and you have five and new dawn and you know, it's, I mean, they're the same game. Don't get me wrong. They don't reinvent the, you know, exactly reinvent the wheel every time, but it's fun shooting, uh, and co-op with your friends is fun. Although that's gotten better as the series. I think five is when they nailed that. They didn't do a great job before then. And yeah, I, uh, those are those games, uh, I, when it comes to Far Cry, I'm kind of a completionist because they show all the icons on the map of things and you get like the maps to show where all the treasures and everything are, you know? Um, so when each of the Far Cries come out, I tend to find everything on the map. So I obviously like them. Yeah, and I would probably have the same problem. So that, that explains a lot of why I stopped because uh, huh, it, gets, it gets tiresome after a while. All right. Well, with that being said, Rob, um, anything else you want to know about Far Cry? Uh, no, Dave, I uh, honestly, it's just, I need to dive into it more of myself and, uh, get, get to enjoying it firsthand or seeing if maybe, you know, I, I only really liked what I was doing cause I was doing it with a friend and maybe it's not for me, but from everything I've seen and done so far, I definitely think I enjoy the series as a whole. Well, that's true. Uh, all right, listeners. Well, if you want to see if you like Far Cry, I will post a link to its steam, uh, store page on our website at www.memorycardlane.com also on our website at memorycardlane.com you can find uh, other show notes a link to upcoming episodes a link to our discord if you'd like to join us uh, a way to submit your own memories of video games Uh, there's a whole bunch of things and also previous episodes of our podcast so yeah memorycardlane.com real easy to remember uh, you can also find links to our social media. I'm on Twitter as David is wrong. And Rob, where's that social media plug? Twitch.tv forward slash fat boy with an I rips with a Z. All right. Well, at the top of each episode, we tell you, uh, well, I'm telling you now, our goal is to teach you something new about each game, what it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. As part of our commitment to do so, we always admit we learn things too. This is a learning process. When you teach, you learn. Remember that, everybody. When you teach, you learn. So as part of that, we like to go roundtable. We like to talk about our own personal biggest takeaways from each uh, each game, each episode. So I'll start with you, Rob. Rob, what did you learn today? I honestly think the, the, the most shocking, surprising, and interesting fact is that uh, these, these German or Europeans just kind of went to E3 and were like, Hey, no one told us to come here or look at this, but please look at this. And 
it, it turned into a, a pretty damn popular game series. Yeah, that wouldn't I, I don't I can't see stuff like that happening these days or there's no need for it to happen these days because back then self-publishing was not an avenue anyone could even possibly take. And nowadays it is. And so it'd be so much easier to get eyes on it, like through social media and stuff like that. So no, exactly. There, it wouldn't, it, while in some instances it could definitely still happen today, maybe in different categories and things, it's definitely not a necessity. Like you said. So what about yourself? What did you, what's your biggest learning? Same thing. I had no clue how Crytek came to be. I didn't know that it was, it was done on a prayer. I didn't know it was done on a prayer either. You know, the funny part is about that is, um, you know, when I start this episode out, I always use Wikipedia, you know, articles as the basis of it. And there's really no, there's really no talk about that in Crytek or anything. You know, what I'll typically do is start with Wikipedia and then I'll, I'll actually start going down its sources for where it sourced all of its data. And then I'll start reading the articles and it was just happenstance that I, I stumbled upon an article talking about Yearly, and I thought it was a much more interesting story, you know, his childhood and everything, and, and that ended up being the most fascinating part for me. So, um, right on. Yeah, it was it was it was just weird. So, all right. Well, before I take it out of here, what would you like to add to the episode? As always, I would like to take one moment to say thank you to each and every one of our listeners. We hope you are enjoying this. And even if you're not, well, hey, you're still listening to us, so thanks. But in all seriousness, we hope you are enjoying it. We love doing it still. And until that stops, we hope you'll enjoy listening with us. Awesome. So next week, ladies and gentlemen, we're looking at one of two games that are widely regarded as the games that accelerated the sales of CD-ROM drives, as this one was one of the first computer games ever to be released only on CD-ROM. Combining live-action video clips alongside huge amounts of pre-rendered 3D graphics, it wasn't just a horror game the likes that no one had ever seen. It actually helped set a new standard in interactive entertainment. Released on April 1st, 1993, The Seventh Guest is an interactive movie puzzle adventure game that helped transform the PC gaming industry. I personally had it as a kid, and I loved it. I still do. And next week, we're going to talk about it. So join us again next week as we take a mockery-filled trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Ba-ba-ba-doom-da-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum. Ba-dum, ba-dum.